HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Dan Glickberg here from Fairway Market reminding you that while Thanksgiving is about family, friends, and great food, it's also about giving to those in need. We're donating over 2,500 turkeys this holiday, but all it takes is a can of vegetables to your local food bank or some time at your local soup kitchen. Happy Thanksgiving. Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. So about a year ago, maybe, not quite sure, about a year ago, um, I was watching Oprah. Yes, I know, but I was. I was watching Oprah. Maybe I was at the gym, so it's okay. And um, on Oprah's show, they were doing an episode about becoming a vegan. And um, she had on some celebrity i can't remember who it was some famous vegan celebrity i don't know can't remember who it was but anyway they decided to do this thing where they would challenge her whole staff to go vegan for a week and the cameras would follow them around and they would document it and oh everybody would have a good time and laugh and then they would do a show on it and that's what this show was it was like the follow-up on all her staff the entire oprah staff going vegan for a week and so I, you know, I saw that in the beginning and I thought, oh, that's great. I got really excited. Not that I am a vegan, nor do I support veganism. But I got excited because I thought, oh, maybe they're going to talk a lot about cooking and about how to like cook vegetables and beans and how to make like real food. And oh, really excited. So they started the show and, you know, they showed some of the staff members talking to their families about it and the kids being like, oh, no. And the husband's freaking out because they weren't going to eat meat and all this stuff. And then they said, oh, but don't worry, you know, we're going to help you out with this the whole time and everything. And we're going to help you, you know, we'll go shopping with you and everything. And so they had cameras and they followed the staff members around. They went, they took them shopping and um, they went into the store and I thought, oh, this is great. They're going to, you know, go down the produce aisle. They're going to talk about vegetables, beans, you know, all real food. 
And instead of doing that, what they did was they went to the aisles where all the vegetarian and vegan foodiness products were. And they showed them how they could buy all these products that would just become substitutes for all the other processed products in their life and all the processed meat products in their life. So basically, they just swapped out meaty foodiness for veg or vegan foodiness. And I was watching this and I was getting more and more angry. I was getting so pissed off at this because I thought the whole idea behind people becoming vegan is that they think the premise is that it's going to make me healthier. It's better for the environment. I'll be eating much lower on the food chain. But instead, what they did is they basically just swapped out one kind of foodiness for another. So nobody really learned anything. All they learned was that processed is okay, whether it's vegan or vegetarian or meatitarian or whatever-itarian, but that it's okay and that it's easy. And so they just ate like processed soy nuggets and patties and veggie foodiness and tofu hot dogs and things like that and not vegetables and beans and nuts and seeds, which are the foods you should eat if you eat anything. We should all be eating that, but if you're giving up meat, you should eat even more of those. Now, I always thought that the point of becoming a vegan or becoming a vegetarian was, like I said, to eat more simply in a more healthy way and lower on the food chain. That's what I always thought. I mean, did I miss something somewhere? So I'm watching the show and it made me so angry that I, of course, in my mind composed a letter, you know, an angry missive. If I had a typewriter in front of me, you know, you'd hear me angrily clacking the keys and then ding at the end, if you're old enough to even get the reference. So I composed this letter in my head, but then I didn't send it because the show was going off the air and I thought, what's the point? It'll, you know, just get lost. And But it, it just made me furious because I thought... We've gone so deeply, deeply down that rabbit hole of foodiness. We're so far down it now that this idea that, well, I'll become a vegan, it's better for me, is enmeshed in that. That, well, you can just swap it out and you can just buy, you know, these products. And it presented this case that you would be healthier, that it was a better choice for you and a better choice for the environment and you'd be healthier and you'd be thinner and living a greener life. But if all you're eating is processed products then it's a completely false choice. It's a false illusion. Vegan foodiness is still foodiness. Vegetarian foodiness is still foodiness. And actually, a lot of those vegan and vegetarian products are even worse in terms of processing and the environment than their meat doppelgangers. So it's kind of this false choice that I think people fall into. They think that, well, I've always been told that eating meat is really bad eat is bad. Eating meat is bad. It's bad for me. It's bad for the environment. It's bad for the animals. It's bad for everybody. Well, yeah, if you eat like a shitload of meat every day or if you eat hot dogs and fast food and frozen pre-cooked burritos and you buy those chicken breasts in a bag that already have grill marks painted on them and all you do is microwave them, that's bad. That's foodiness meat. And that's not good and not good for you. Or if you eat, you know, a lot of like processed salami and things like that and that so that was the idea that well that's all really bad meat is bad and then the idea that being a vegetarian is good because it's green and it's good and it's better for the environment and you know sure if you eat a lot of vegetables and eat really low on the food chain but not if you're eating soy burgers or tofu dogs which are not only bad for the environment they're actually bad for you so it's like a mythology 
of veganism or vegetarianism that if I just go to the store and I buy like this soy burger, there's something fundamentally better than that than if I just ate a piece of broccoli or I ate a piece of lamb. It's what I call the value added trap. Like, oh, I could buy the broccoli and the broccoli's good, but I could buy the enhanced broccoli foodiness product and that's better. It's got value added to it. So it's all part of that mythology, that foodiness mythology. Like instead of calling it a chip, you call it a smart chip. Or instead of a burger, it's a garden burger or smart water. Everything is enhanced. Everything's enriched. Everything's modified. It's that premise that it's better when actually it's really worse for you, for everyone, for the planet. It's worse. So it's a choice that you have to make. We have to make this choice. Are we going to eat meat? Or are we not going to eat meat? I mean, you do have to make that choice in your life. If you're going to eat, you have to decide. Now, whichever one you decide to do, that's totally fine. It's totally up to you. You have your reasons for it. I personally choose to eat meat. But I only eat real meat, real food, which is what we're designed to eat. You know, look at your teeth. Take your tongue right now and run it along your top teeth. You feel those little fangs? Inside, we have fangs. Yes, we are animals. We have fangs. And those fangs are there so you can tear into some animal flesh and rip it apart and feel that blood drip down the side of your face. Because that's what real food is. It's earthy. It's real. Real meat, real fruit, real vegetables, real beans. That's all real food. To process that real food, you need fangs, basically. Or if you choose not, to eat meat and not use your fangs. You have the choice of being a vegetarian, but that means you should be a real vegetarian. You should eat vegetables. You should eat beans. You should eat nuts, fruit, seeds, maybe tofu. Real food, just leaving out the meat. Right? Isn't that the equation? That's what I always thought it was. It's all the same food minus the one animal group. Because we think meat is bad for us. Right? Bad for us, bad for the planet. And some of it is, like I said. But good meat is better than bad vegetarian. Veggie foodiness is a lot worse than eating good meat. So this premise that things like Boca burgers or soy nuggets are healthier and better and that the people who make that choice to eat those things are being more responsible and doing the right thing is completely wrong. Or maybe they even feel morally superior by eating it because they're not killing anything. But they're not. It's not morally superior. It's not better. It's not greener. It's not healthier. It's actually worse. So when I was back in college years ago, um, somehow I got my hands on a copy of a book called Diet for a New America. Diet for a New America is a book by John Robbins. John Robbins is, or was, the heir to the Baskin-Robbins ice cream fortune. So he was the heir to quite a large pile of money that was made from ice cream. But John Robbins decided to turn his back on that. He said, I don't want the inheritance. I don't want the money. To me, that's dirty money. Because he was a vegetarian. I think he was a vegan, actually. And he did this expose, this book, Diet for New America, which was an expose of the meat and dairy and egg industries. And it was truly sickening. I mean, it was all about what the animals were treated like and 
the pesticides and the drugs and the awful feedlot system, all that stuff, you know, that I've talked about when I did the Meet Your Meat show, all the bad stuff about producing animal protein was in that book. And he was right. A lot of that stuff existed. And I feel like kind of now we're on the road to changing that. And I think he was one of the first people to really expose it. So it's great. But I read the book and of course I was horrified and sickened and I decided, okay, I need to be a vegetarian. I can't do this. So I was a vegetarian for a couple of years, but I was not a smart vegetarian. I wasn't eating the vegetables and the beans and the nuts. I was what I call a pastatarian. I was really poor. I was a college student. So pasta was cheap. I was poor. You know, I had read this book. I was convinced that all animal products were bad except sushi. I had to make an exception there. I could never give that up. That was the one that was the one place I just could not give up, the one thing. So, I was a very poor college student and I was living on the 6th floor of a walk-up apartment in the East Village of New York with a terrible kitchen that was a total dump. So, I couldn't really go grocery shopping because I couldn't carry the groceries up the 6 flights of stairs. Now, thinking back, maybe I really should have tried a little bit harder to carry all those groceries up the six flights of stairs because being a pastatarian, I got really fat. Now, I had been kind of a little fat kid growing up, up until about high school. But then in high school, I actually started working out and eating better, and I kind of figured things out, and I lost a lot of weight. And when I went off to college, I was, you know, nice at my lowest weight, very healthy. But then I got to college, and... I read this book and I decided to become a vegetarian and then I stopped cooking because I lived in this terrible kitchen and I didn't have any money and I wasn't exercising. All these things kind of came together. I wound up gaining a lot of weight. Now, I'm only four foot eleven, and I actually was pushing like 150 pounds. So that's, you know, I was pretty chubby. And I was a fat vegetarian. Now, I kept reading these books that said, oh, if you're a vegetarian, you'll be leaner and thinner and healthier. And I was waiting for that to happen. But as a vegetarian, I was living on pasta and muffins and ramen noodles and pizza and bagels. There were not a lot of vegetables in my vegetarianism. I didn't really understand how to do it. I mean, I sort of knew. I sort of knew I was supposed to do something with beans and grains and combine and I was still convinced, you know, that all animal protein was bad, so I wasn't going to eat that. And this was before the carbophobic years of the 90s, so I thought that, you know, carbs were the way to go. And I would also occasionally buy those processed foodiness vegetarian products, although there were way fewer of them back then, mercifully. And so I always thought, well, it's always better for me to eat, you know, a bowl of pasta with some kind of, you know, sauce on it that doesn't have meat in it than eating any kind of animal product because I'm doing the right thing and you know it's gonna it's gonna work out I'm gonna be fine and I'm saving the planet and the animals and everything and not only did I get fat but I got really sick I had colds almost every week of the winter I had colds I had this crazy blood sugar situation it was up and down all the time I couldn't keep it stable And I had been much healthier when I was living back at home where we were cooking every night and we were eating, you know, more protein, not a lot, but we were cooking like regular meals at home. And eating all those carbs was making me kind of spike and crash. And so I would eat the pasta and then I would suddenly be craving sugar because that's what it did to me. And so then I would eat like ice cream or I would eat a piece of cake or something like that. But I was like, I'm a vegetarian. I'm healthy. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I could not figure it out. Everything I read said I'd be healthier, but I had a cold every week of every winter. So a couple of years passed and I got out of college and then I decided to start cooking professionally. 
and I started working in restaurants. And one of the first restaurants I worked in was probably the first earth to table style restaurant in New York. You know, now we think of that as a very normal thing. Like you buy from farmers and it's all seasonal. And this was 20 years ago. And I was exposed to a lot of different ideas about quality animal proteins and free range and pastured and well-raised stuff and organic vegetables and seasonality. And it's like I started to kind of relearn about real food which was kind of the way I had been raised and which the way we had eaten growing up. But it kind of didn't make sense to me until then. And I really started to see protein in a different light. And I started to see eating animal products in a kind of conscientious way, in a conscious way. And I started exercising again, which was important. And once I figured out what the processed pastatarian diet had been doing to me, I started to change things. I started to eat a little more animal protein again. You know, not a lot. I'm not like a big steak person, but a little here and there. And I added in a lot more vegetables and I got rid of all the processed stuff and all the white carby stuff. And, you know, I got better. I got healthier. I lost the weight. I started feeling good. I didn't get sick anymore. I kept my blood sugar stable. I mean, I totally got it together food-wise. But I had to kind of go full circle like that and get back to it. And I completely appreciate what John Robbins wrote in his book because I think it really has led to the changes that we're seeing now in those industries, you know, along with other documentaries and Fast Food Nation and all of this stuff that's happening now. But this was like, I think he wrote that book about 25 years ago. Now, I could have made the choice back then to be a more conscientious vegetarian and cook and eat vegetables and beans and all of that. But I couldn't afford it. I wasn't motivated. I had a really hard time with it. So I made the choice eventually to start eating meat again, and it worked for me. It doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me. And you know what? Like, meat really tastes good. (laughs) Like, certain kinds of proteins, animals, they taste really good, and I like them. And I don't have a problem with that. I keep the amount small. Nobody needs to eat a 20-ounce porterhouse steak. You know, that's just gluttony. That's because we're American and we can. But, you know, four or five ounces of really good, high-quality, grass-fed meat, that's pretty good. Good for you and actually good for the environment, good for the land if it's pastured and all that. So it took me a few years to figure it out. But what I realized is this, that we truly are omnivores. That means we eat it all. Animals, vegetables, minerals, not just bagels. We could probably actually do with a few less bagels. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more about being an omnivore. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. So keep in mind that if you're a fan of Heritage Radio, you have many options. You can listen to the shows live when they air on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. You can also listen to all of them archived 
on the same site. You can also listen to every single Heritage Radio show ever on iTunes. And with this show, you even have a third option, which is you can listen to any of these on letsgetrealshow.com. You can also check out my vlog, which is my foodiness blog on letsgetrealshow.com. And you can leave comments on the vlog too, by the way. I like the comments, so keep them coming. You can also become a fan of Let's Get Real on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Chef Smarty Pants. So you have many options, ways to keep in touch. You never call, you never write. You could at least tweet. So we're talking tonight about the choice that you make if you decide to be a vegetarian or if you decide to eat meat. We all have to make that choice. It's a conscious choice. And how if you're going to make that choice, you have to make a, the you have to take the non-foodiness approach to being either one. Now, I was talking at the end of the last segment about how it came to me, ultimately, after experimenting with being a vegetarian in college, that we are truly omnivores. We have fangs, we have pointy teeth, and we have molars in the back. That's how we're designed. So we humans evolved that way to be hunters and gatherers we hunt we use the fangs we gather we use the molars that's what we're meant to do it's how we're built we weren't actually meant to be farmers we farm now but it's not what we were designed to do we only invented farming about 10,000 years ago what we were meant to do was chase down animals for food and eat them like all other mammals with fangs that's what we were designed to do but we don't have claws we can't pounce we're not built like rabbits who can pounce, although rabbits are herbivores. But what we do have over the advantage over other animals is that we can sweat. Humans sweat, whereas other mammals pant, like lions pant, dogs pant. We sweat. And that gives us the advantage because we were able to run and run and run and run and sweat and chase down our prey who would eventually drop from exhaustion because they couldn't sweat. They would have to pant, and they can only pant when they stop. So we would chase our prey down, and we'd basically run them to death. That's how we caught them. Now, that was before we invented guns or, you know, bows and arrows. It was like spear era hunting. We invented spears. We'd run. We'd hit them with a spear. And, you know, I've thought about that. Two weeks ago, it was the New York City Marathon here. In New York, and I was watching the champion runners, you know, the Ethiopians, the Kenyans, and I thought, God, those people, they are really built to run. I did the New York City Marathon. I am not built to run. I am so not designed to be a runner. Somewhere along the line, genetically, evolutionarily, my people branched far off from that tree. But those guys were meant to run. And sometimes people say, oh, well, humans, you know, we're really not designed to run long distances, but it, we are. That's what we did before, before we had guns. It's how we hunted. It was before we invented bagels, we invented running down our prey until it dropped dead. And then, of course, we've discovered that if we cooked that prey, we'd get even more benefit from it. Because all that extra protein that we could now chew with our fangs and our molars gave us these big brains. And that's how we invented things like farming and pasta. Cooking our animals gave us our big brains, and cooking made us human. I've talked about this before on the show. So we're omnivores. We have molars for grinding grains and vegetables, and we have incisors for tearing meat. 
And that's it. You can't deny it. We have both and we're designed to eat both. And, you know, that's design. And who am I to find flaw in our design? I mean, that's as real as real gets. We have both. So in the morning when I eat that bowl of quinoa with chia seeds and all the grains I eat with an egg, I use my molars. I grind it up that way. But, you know, the oxtail and tripe ragu that I ate on Friday night, that's where the incisors came in. They helped me shred that stuff right up. But which teeth in our mouths are the ones that were designed for processing soy chicken nuggets? And do you need incisors to rip apart a tofu hot dog? Where do the meat doppelganger foodiness creations come into the picture? First, we learned to hunt and cook our meat. Then we learned to farm and process grains. And then we mixed the two together and came up with Boca burgers. What is that? That's not food. Now, in environmental sense, if you look at this from the environmental angle, people always say, well, I'm a vegetarian. It's much better for the planet. Most industrial production of meat, industrial meat, is bad for you, bad for the planet. Industrial meat. Pastured meat, grass-fed meat, that's all okay. That's pretty good. If you go back and listen to my old show, Meet Your Meat, I talk all about that. I sort of break down the difference between grain-fed and grass-fed and pastured and, you know, which one's good and which one's bad. But all... The foodiness, vegetarian, and vegan products are worse for the environment because they use way more resources and have way more ingredients in them and have to be packaged and shipped. So that alone leaves a bigger carbon footprint. That alone is worse than eating the piece of meat. So let's get real about it. What do you do? Well, veg or not veg, it's up your, you know, it's totally your choice. It's up to you. Am I going to be a vegetarian? Am I going to eat meat? Am I going to be both? Am I an omnivore? Yes, I am. But I'm not judging here. It's not my job. It's totally up to you to decide. But if you are going to be a vegetarian, then why would you buy products that are pretending to be meat? Why would you try to replace the meat eating experience with a simulated meat eating experience if it's the meat that you're rejecting in the first place? So the chicken nuggets, not chicken, chicken nuggets, soy sausage crumbles. My sister used to eat that stuff. It was called gimme lean. Veggie burgers that even like in Chinese cooking, the mock duck. What's the point? If you're turning your back on the meat, why are you turning to face a plate of faux meat? And what is all that stuff made out of? Well, mostly it's made out of really scary engineered corn, soy, and wheat. All that surplus stuff that I've talked about. They make the stuff into a slurry, a corn, soy, wheat, oat slurry. Then they process it and flavor it and color it and then extrude it out in a factory into patties and chunks and nuggets. Now I'm going to do a whole show on this stuff coming up soon. So we'll get way more deeply down that rabbit hole. And that stuff is really bad news because those products, like I said, use up more resources. They use more water and more land and more oil and more paper than meat production does. Your basic veggie burger or faux chicken nugget has between 15 and 25 individual ingredients in them. And so think about that. Every single one of those ingredients needs to be grown or produced or manufactured then all those individual ingredients need to be collectively 
processed and packaged and trucked and shipped to another factory where all those individual components are then unpackaged, reprocessed using more water and more oil and more resources, put back into more plastic and paper packaging, put back on trucks and shipped back out of the foodiness factory, back out to the store where you then buy it and feel good about yourself because you're a vegan. Now a chicken gets raised on a farm or in a factory farm and killed and processed and shipped. And then it's yours. So that chicken has this little teeny tiny carbon footprint. Not teeny tiny, but smaller. And that tofu dog has a really, really big carbon footprint. So I don't know. Which one is better? I don't know. So what do you do? What do you do? Right? This, this show is supposed to help you figure out what to do. So what are you going to do? Well, you either eat real meat or you'll be a real vegetarian. But don't be a foodiness version of either one. And to paraphrase Michael Pollan, who is, you know, my food god, Michael Pollan says, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And that's really good advice. But if you're going to be a meat eater, I would say eat meat, not too much, only high quality. Eat it if you want to. Don't eat it if you don't want to. This is America. We still have some choice in our lives. They haven't taken it all away yet. And here's how you can kind of do either one or both. Find balance. First of all, you should go back and listen to my Meet Your Meat show because I really break it out, grass-fed, pastured, all of that. Or if you're a vegetarian and you have issues about animal cruelty, which is certainly an issue, or you have religious beliefs or you have ideas about health or you just don't want to eat animals, then you need to be real about it and you need to eat real vegetarian food. So you either need to eat real meat or eat real vegetarian food or eat both. But don't eat the foodiness. Now, I think being a vegetarian is harder than eating, than being a meat eater because you actually have to like literally prepare everything that you're going to eat if you're going to go the non-foodiness route, right? So if you're a vegetarian, you still have all this extra prep to do. There's carrots to peel and cans of beans to open. I mean, there's work. You should still be eating all of that anyway. The meat should not be the focus of your meal, of course. We know that. But as far as kind of work-wise, I think it's actually a lot easier sometimes to just cook yourself up a chicken than to make yourself some kind of vegetable and bean and nut and grain preparation. But I would say eat both. Find balance in it. So you have this choice to make, and it's totally up to you. But remember that we have those two kinds of teeth. We have the fangs. We have the grinders. We were meant to eat both. We were hunters and gatherers way before we were farmers. And remember that if you don't want to eat shit, foodiness vegetarian products and foodiness vegan products are beyond shit. They are hyper shit. Now, next week, we're going to be talking about drinks, things that come in bottles, things you should drink and things you shouldn't drink. So you probably want to stay tuned for that. So we're just about out of time. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week.
The following is a message from Jones Family Farms. Jones Family Farms is a 400-acre working farm offering quality agricultural products all year round, from fresh summer berries to Christmas trees in the winter, and an award-winning winery that is open from April to December. The reach of the Jones Family Farms is hard to capture, from their advocacy work, through the Working Lands Alliance, to ongoing classes in the Harvest Kitchen. Jones Family Farms is as passionate about education as it is about farming. Whether you're picking fresh strawberries or exploring local wines, we hope you're inspired to learn more about Connecticut farming. Visit www.jonesfamilyfarms.com for more information.